For nearly a year, the Diamond Hard Caucus Book Club series has been fixated on former Congressman Steve King and former college football offensive lineman Tyler Granger. But now for the first time since July 7th, 2022, we're returning to the master of weird local authors, Joseph Dobrian. Welcome back to Dobrain Book Club. As I said a minute ago, welcome back to Doe Brain Book Club. I'm here tonight with Evan and Stella, and um, they're going to listen to me talk about a book that they have not read. <laughs> I was going to say, I did not do any preparation for this, so yeah. going in completely cold back into the warped mindscape of Joseph Dobrian. Mm-hmm. We're back to the original format where it was me ranting and raving to my <laughs> unknowing friends <laughs> back to our roots with the original local punching bag <laughs> yeah it's fair it's fair though um that was a question i wanted to address before i actually start getting into the book but um we will be covering and we are recording video for this so if you're watching you're seeing me hold the book up to the camera we're covering joseph's second novel called ambitions and i have the book in my hands on paper and i took notes (laughs) in the margins of the book and i highlighted passages so this is uh, an analog experience compared to the pdfs from before so this is like a more it's a warmer uh listening experience for you as well uh because we're dealing with you know analog media you don't get the sort of um, artificial, uh, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Sterility. It's it's not it's not as sterile as a digital <laughs> digital ebook. Uh, Very okay. So potent. I I wanted to ask the question of myself and you and anyone listening to this: Why are we doing this? <laughs> that is a good question, Justin. Because. Uh, we love him. He's our favorite. He's our uh, local Iowa libertarian daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, you know, sometimes when I reflect on, do we give him too hard of a time? I think about some of his greatest hits. Yeah. And I remember, oh, he's a piece of shit. He deserves everything he gets. And uh, we have fun. That's what the podcast is all about, having a good time, making some friends yeah. along the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and unlike the last author we covered, he actually doesn't really care that we uh, do these. He he gets some sick 
enjoyment out of it. So really, um, I think it's dedicated to him, isn't it? This whole series. Yeah, I mean, obviously I mean, he, it is. <laughs> he likes the attention, which I regret a little bit. But like, he has a, a fairly extensive body of work. Like this, this book itself is over four hundred pages mm. long, and he has a he has what I consider to be a unique perspective, and he is a competent writer. So there ends up being like a lot to actually think about and talk about. The text is rich. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. This yeah. is like it's like a college course. I was gonna say you need those little um, sticky note like page markers. Oh yeah. So you can <laughs> you hundreds can... of them sticking out. Of yeah. The top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a college textbook. Yeah. I truly wonder, Justin, if you have read the most Dobrian content <laughs> of anyone. <laughs> living on the planet besides the man himself yeah i mean i think he has friends who read his stuff i don't think i'm the only one who's read this much i haven't even read all of his books yet so i i would say it's probably in the single digits but uh i am in the ranking definitely (laughs) (laughs) so my bookmark for this is um is actually his business card how Corial the services. Heck did you get your paws on that? <laughs> it was in was the it book. in the book? Oh, okay. yeah, it was in here. It was in here. It's got his AOL email address on the other side. Who are <laughs> the other people, people listed on it? Hands. Uh, the name of the editorial services firm or whatever uh, is Dobrian, Francis, Bowie, and Long. And I don't know who the other three people are. Yeah, but then Francis it's just Bowie. his AOL email address. Right. Well, it's. I think this is his personal business card. So it lists him as the CEO. Oh, okay. Oh. And uh, his website, josephdobrian.com, which is no longer active on the web. I check it occasionally just to Can see. Can we if buy it's that back. domain? <laughs> yeah, is it, yeah, exactly. Is it for sale? <laughs> actually a great idea. We can check after this. <laughs> okay. So, yes, yeah, so the, the book came with his business card inside and i can tell you a little of the story of how i obtained this book um this copy of this book was found on the free shelf at the university of iowa's music library and um you know i went to i went to school for music at the university and i have friends who work in that library who are aware of this project and thought that i might be interested in the book which I absolutely was. So that's how I got this. <laughs> and it came with a, a personalized note here in like pink gel pen. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to keep the name out of it, but this is the uh, dedication can you, can from the author. Can you believe it? Like, I'm very curious to <laughs> hear it. I'll tell you. Sure, I okay, can believe thanks. it. Um, it's also a little bit hard to read his handwriting, but I think it says for... Uh, in commemoration of your triumph as Little Buttercup in April of 2022. So that's probably enough identifying information that any weirdos could actually figure out who that is, even if the name <laughs> is bleeped. So please don't be weird about this. Uh, <laughs> Joseph has been weird enough by giving this person a copy of his book after seeing them perform in an opera. <laughs> right. And what did they do with that book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, found on the free shelf at the music library. <laughs> Uh, roughly a year later um, may your career far outstrip those of the sopranos portrayed in these pages signed joseph uh, f dobrian i think that's an f i don't remember what his middle name is hmm. francis 
That'd be funny if it's the Francis from the editorial services firm. Uh, his middle <laughs> name is not on the business card. Dobrian famously loves Gilbert and Sullivan. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So he gave this book to a young woman he saw performing in an opera. <laughs> <laughs> and it was then left on a shelf for me to get my hands on it. Please uh, um, play here Sideshow Bob um, as Little Buttercup. <laughs> oh, great idea. I'm called Little Buttercup, poor Little Buttercup, though I could never tell why. <laughs> wow. See, this is why Stella's here. For all her encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So let me tell you a little bit about the book. I'll read from the back here. We can get, and also a author photo. Oh, wow. Looking I real mean, pensive. Before I read it, uh, let's compare. There's the author photo from uh, 2014 or so. It's when the book came out. And we'll compare that to the cover, the man in the corner there. Mm. This looks kind of similar <laughs> so this, this is what ambitions is about according to the back here uh, teenage Christine Wainwright's parents seem to regard her and her musical ambitions as an inconvenience Christine's earnest vain brother David is the star of the family an up-and-coming novelist who's given his parents a perfect daughter-in-law and adorable grandchildren the middle child, Melissa, is struggling with her teaching career at a choice between two men, steady, pragmatic Leander and worshipful Connor. <laughs> worshipful Connor. Uh, when Christine disappears, suspicion falls on the Wainwright's scheming neighbor, Andy Palinkas, who loathes Christine's parents. The unfolding mystery reveals the true story behind the Wainwright's respectable facade, a convoluted saga of unwanted children disastrous marriages, romantic double crosses, and domestic plots and counterplots. Ambitions is stark, elegantly written family drama set in a Midwestern university town, a story of aspiration, frustration, adoration, and betrayal. Does that, does that intrigue you? You want to learn more? <laughs> uh, it's intriguing. I just was honestly thinking throughout that, uh, is it, he's, Calling the main characters the Wainwrights. There's also a famous uh, music family called the Wainwrights. I wonder if there's <laughs> oh, a connection sure. there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, Joseph's musical interests are primarily classical. Yeah, I was sure. gonna say that doesn't really yeah. jive, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's aware of the Wainwrights. Well, I guess I'm not sure, but you know, <laughs> couldn't tell you. He's, he's very cultured, so yeah, he probably is. Yeah. I'm extremely intrigued. Um, I am so glad that we're reading a fiction book and not mm -hmm. his essays. This is going to be <laughs> fantastic. That's a good point. This is this is the first fictional book we've covered since Willie Wilden. Also, since yes. then, it's been a lot of memoir and uh, essays. <laughs> that was the last time we did uh, Joseph was uh, his book of essays. Yeah horror memoirs <laughs> so this this time we get a fictional novel intended to be fiction uh this is a a story a story we can really it, it can it can grip us a story that we will be 
invested in. Um, first thing I wanted to point out as I opened the book, uh, there's that disclaimer that's at the beginning of a lot of books. It's like, this is a work of fiction. Everything in it is not real. Any, any resemblance to actual persons, either living or dead, business establishments, events, or locales is coincidental. Okay. I mean, I think you have to say that. That's just yeah. sort of a <laughs> to cover you legally. But that's 100% not true. With this <laughs> right. <book>. <laughs> he's very clear about what he's uh, referencing. Um, and then there's uh, like an epigraph at the beginning. I think that's the right word, epigraph. Like a quote from someone else that opens your book. Uh, from Albert Camus. Now, I'm wow. not going to read the French, but the translation is, The struggle toward the summit in itself is sufficient to fill one's heart. We must imagine that Sisyphus is happy. So that is a theme that, like, you know, casts its shadow over the whole story here is uh, Sisyphus rolling his boulder up the hill. So this is uh, conveniently separated into six parts. And we're going to cover the first part today, which is just three chapters. Uh, it's only like 40 pages. So, um, you know, we're going to be establishing a lot. So there's a lot to talk about. But hopefully, hopefully the later sections being much longer will not mean that the episodes will be way, way longer. But we'll see. Um, all right. Chapter one. Oh, sorry. Section one is called Christine Wainwright and Andy Palinkas. So it's focused on these two characters. Uh, if you remember from... The back of the book blurb there, Christine is the youngest of the Wainwright family, and Andy Palinkas was referred to as their scheming neighbor who loathes them. <laughs> At this point, can you predict who the self-insert character yeah. might be? <laughs> <laughs> Man, is he going to take her under his wing at some point? His armpit? Hmm. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so chapter one is called Christine Disappears. And my brief summary here is Joe establishes his main characters, Andy Palinkas, his very blunt self-insert, <laughs> the Wainwrights, Andy's former neighbors, because they actually moved away from Andy because they disliked him, and uh, the Blahas, who are related to the Wainwrights by marriage, and they own the building where Andy's clothing shop sits. So Andy Plinkus owns and runs a men's clothing store, which is mm. in a building. He rents the space from his friend, uh, I think it was Teresa Blaha, but we'll get to her later. Um, and these people all live in State City. <laughs> Former capital city of small Midwestern <laughs> state. Yeah. With it's a, a very... public university. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very blunt parody of Iowa City where Joe is from and where he returned to, uh, you know, 15 years ago or so after his, uh, you know, starting his career in New York, where he was a political activist and TV talk show host. And one time and mayoral, mayoral candidate. Mayoral candidate. <laughs> yes. Actually, all of the things we just said are on the back of the book here. So he is. <laughs> that is how he presents himself to prospective readers. All right, so the youngest Wainwright, Christine, has gone missing. There's some Twin Peaks shit going on here in the town of State City. <laughs> so uh, he starts out in the first person talking about himself, Andy Palinkas, and uh, then describes State City as a... Uh, oh, State City, Iowa. So it is specifically in the state of oh, Iowa. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, population of 75,000, counting the students at State 
university uh refers <laughs> to itself yeah, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry what year was this published i'm sorry uh, if you said that published 2014 uh, i believe he'd been writing it for some time before that but uh had it self-published in 2014 very good yeah uh part of state city's sort of uh, self-marketing is uh the smallest big city in the world which also reflects some real life marketing <laughs> <laughs> And it has been designated by UNESCO as one of six cities of music. So there's a twist. Uh, <laughs> cities of music, huh? I can yeah. neither confirm nor deny that it shares some qualities <laughs> with a certain town in Iowa. Yeah. yeah, people may know Iowa City in real life is a UNESCO city of literature. Am I saying that right? UNESCO? I guess. I don't yeah. know. So to make it, you know, 1% different, it's a city of music in the book. And let me actually pull up this video for you. I think that's a good place to start here. Uh, so Andy was describing himself, and then he shares with the readers um, an article that was written about him in the State City Examiner in 2008. And I have here a video of the author reading from his book at Prairie Lights Bookstore. And in this video, he kind of just starts at the beginning of the book and starts reading. So here's just an excerpt of Andy Palinkas reading a newspaper article about himself. State City Examiner, June 1st, 2008. Meet Andy Palinkas. Andrew Gabor Palinkas has made it his purpose and passion to send people out of his store and into the world looking good. He knows how to dress, and he teaches his customers to do the same. I dress the way a lot of guys in State City wish they dared to dress, said the 60-year-old owner of Rosen's Men's Store in downtown State City. I won't pretend that I don't dress well. My attire isn't just something that goes with my business. It's part of who I am. A tall, husky, tough-looking man with a meticulously shaven head, Andy's a familiar figure in State City, with his upright posture, sharp, double-breasted suits, crusty personality, and, as he puts it himself, the only pair of piercing green eyes in the world. He's often seen at State University sporting events and at the Janscom Center for Classical Music Concerts and Recitals. You'll also see him on stage in productions by the State City Community Theater. Andy has been working at Rosen's since he graduated from State City High School in 1966, back when I had hair, as Andy says. He worked there while attending State University and bought the store from its previous owner, the late Jacob Rosen, in 1986. Just over a year ago, he opened Rosen's Silhouettes, which specializes in formal wear for men and women, as well as bridal gowns. Andy admits that he... Okay, I have to pause here because he skips uh, almost a full page here, and I'm not 100% sure why. But uh, can you tell who he's describing there, is, there may be a real-life analog. He's only got a single breast on that suit. <laughs> he's only got a single breast on that suit. So no and way he, is that guy. He's not shaving his head. He's holding on with everything he's got to that hair. <laughs> it's not fully shaven, but I mean, it's mostly shaven. Like, it's pretty pretty clean on the sides and the back. But yeah, you can tell it's, it's him. It's a version of him. You know, I'm realizing, I don't know much about, like, so so to you, like, when a man says, I shave my head, you're like, I guess I would have 
assume that meant like he's a cue ball like he's bald-headed yeah it it does i mean if you say that and that's what he's intending with the character here like this guy he's shaved bald (laughs) fully fully yeah but i'm just pointing out it is similar to joseph dobrin in real life he's not he doesn't have a fully shaven head here although these days i think he is fully shaven last time i saw him was uh, at a city council meeting where he was uh (laughs) <laughs> enjoying the spectacle of uh our podcast getting someone in trouble it is fascinating <laughs> like to think about the details that he does change slightly yeah okay so the section that he skips here uh there are a couple interesting points uh a quote from andy palinkas uh, i don't buy the concept of giving back to the community i do not buy the concept of giving back to the community <laughs> <laughs> Remember, he was a libertarian candidate for mayor of New York City, so that... Yeah. Shaved head, very dapper. Uh, (laughs) Could be a reflection (laughs) of himself, yeah. Um, I love classical music, even though I don't know a darn thing about it. Also a reflection of his real-life taste. Uh, A very long section of getting way too specific about his clothing, which is... Not fully, but almost entirely copied from his uh, essay entitled How I Dress from Seldom Right But Never in Doubt. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the skipped section, uh, it says that Andy is buying commercial real estate and trying to build a second career as a landlord. It's nasty stuff. But I'll let him finish. Might be fighting a losing battle in his efforts to persuade more men to wear jackets, ties, and dress shirts and he wonders how much longer traditional men's stores like Rosen's can survive. It could be that in a few years there won't be any need for a store like Rosen's, he sighs. I'm fighting against a horde of men dressed in shorts, t-shirts, and flip-flops. But, Andy says, il faut imaginer Sisyphe heureux. That French <laughs> phrase means you have to imagine that Sisyphus is happy. And it refers to the ancient myth of Sisyphus, who was condemned to spend eternity pushing a huge rock up a hill, only to have it roll back down again each time he gets near the summit. Okay, I feel like so. we're going to be hit with that rock a lot over the <laughs> yeah. course of this book. I feel like yep, that rock's yep. going to come rolling down across us. Yep, he speaks was... French like someone who's much more familiar with German. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say, that sounded very German. <laughs> <laughs> to uh you know nod at his kind of fashy author photo on the back <laughs> yeah yeah so sisyphus is on the cover there's that opening epigraph from camus and then we're only on page six of the book and there it is again sisyphus happy etc uh and then it, it continues it says he's like basically terminally a bachelor never married uh women don't like him etc <laughs> <laughs> And then something very strange happens. So, as I said, at the start of this, this was in first person from Andy's perspective. And he's basically saying, like, this girl who was my neighbor went missing, and I'm going to tell you everything that I know about it. Then there's this newspaper article about Andy. And then the rest of the section that I read is in third person. Like, no, no warning. It just shifts perspective completely. From being like I, me, etc., to then like Andy, he, him. That's Andy's pronouns. <laughs> but it welcome really thank you for to, clarifying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Doe Brain's playground, baby. Here we go. You've really, entered his mind. He loves really a caught device. Me off guard. Yeah, it's very experimental. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
And remarkably, he actually talks about it in this video. <laughs> so let me tell you. At first, I was like, is this a mistake? But no, there are no mistakes when it comes to Joseph Dobrian. So here are his comments on that perspective shift. I use what I thought was kind of an interesting narrative device throughout the book. The story is narrated by this bald guy at the front. And he starts out by introducing himself. But then he tells most of the rest of the story in the third person saying, Andy did this, Andy said that. And every so often he'll just step back from the narrative and turn to the reader and say, now wait a second, what's going on here? So with that... <laughs> so it's written from the in the third person from a specific character. A kind of? I mean... Okay. I, I mean, I haven't read that much of the book, but it starts out in first person, and then the rest of it is straight third person. But sort of... To me, this is a pretty common perspective to write from. Like, you write everything in third person, but it's clearly limited by, you know, one character's uh, knowledge of the situation or, like, witnessing mm -hmm. things, you know? Uh, but he just switches uh, sort of... To no break transition. The, just the fourth wall occasionally. Are, that are hasn't we happened to yet, but I understand trust that the narrator is unreliable, perhaps. <laughs> well, it sort of it sort of establishes that at the beginning. Like Andy says, like what I'm writing here is either the straight truth or what I can gather to be the truth, or like my best understanding of what happened. So he may be a bit unreliable. Yes. If I was a critic, I would start my review with the book is called Ambitions and you cannot fault Joseph Dobrian for his in this inventive new book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will we will get to the uh, critics reviews on a later episode. I do have plenty of those saved up. And OK, so there was a and a at the end of this uh, this reading session, too. And somebody asked him specifically, uh, why did you do that? Like, why did you switch from first person to third? <laughs> See, I really fixated on this. And fortunately, someone in the audience also thought it was interesting and asked him. What inspired you to write um, like in a third person using the perspective of the man, the bald man? The you know, I wonder about that, too. It just sort of <laughs> happened. I could have done it all in first person, but I wanted somewhat of, of a uh, remove, and I wanted, I wanted a suggestion of omniscience, because there are parts of this book where Andy couldn't possibly have known for sure what was going on, but he just has to give it his best guess. And then there are other times when he's pretty sure of what's happened, but maybe doesn't know all the details. So by telling it in the third person, that gets him off the hook a little bit and allows him to be more omniscient than he would have been. I saw a hand at the back. Yes. Okay. So he's... I don't know how it happened. Uh, the muse works through me in mysterious ways. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted the hint of omniscience. Yes, you could consider this book... a. Uh, LaCroix of literature just a whisper <laughs> of a flavor <laughs> yeah you could also think that you know maybe a god wrote this an all-knowing that's one interpretation <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, so then he describes uh, the Wainwrights, the family he used to live next to that he hates, and there's also a newspaper article about them as well. Uh, Jim and Gail Wainwright are the parents of this family. Um, They are very ordinary looking, according to him. Uh, Jim is not as tall as Andy. I'm sure for, you know, that's very important to a guy like Andy. Not a guy like Joe, that's a different guy, but a guy like Andy... uh, Male height comparisons are probably front of mind for him pretty often. So uh, Jim, he runs, he's a podiatrist. He runs State City Podiatry. So he's a foot guy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Bob Odenkirk. (laughs) (laughs) And then basically the newspaper article is just Joe's an elbow guy. Uh, Sorry. uh, (laughs) Go ahead. He's into all the, the pits, you know, mostly this one. Uh, All the crevices. He's a crevice guy. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. If you got a (laughs) crevice. So the article is like almost comically just painting this family as the complete opposite of Andy Palinkas. Like this quote from Gail, the wife, I've always kept active by volunteering and getting involved in local politics to some extent. I've always been a big believer in fairness for everyone. So good, you know. Makes sense why he would hate this woman. Yeah, that's yeah. very hateable characteristic for Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, David, the oldest son, I believe I already mentioned this, but he uh, is a novelist. He's at this point in the narrative already the author of one novel, so it's perhaps a source of resentment. Somebody getting started in their uh, novelist career at the age of young, uh, early thirties, rather than getting started later in life, as Joe did. Uh, pet peeves of Gale, uh, violence in sports, on TV, and in movies, and people who don't fulfill their social responsibilities. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like a very lazy parody of like a overly involved liberal mother. And then he kind of feminizes Jim a little bit, the husband. Uh, Jim Wainwright uh, enjoys romantic movies, and he says, I'm all about chocolate. So that's basically a woman, right? Wow. Yeah. Is he a Kathy cartoon? <laughs> what a cut. Men hate chocolate historically. Yeah, that's for ladies. <laughs> I, I will say that that's my own uh, sort of interpretation of what he's trying to put on the page. Uh, yeah, I think you're, I think Fair. you're on point. <laughs> he's not saying Jim is a woman in the text, but that's what I think he's going for. Um, and Jim also says that uh, I should like classical music, but that stuff is way over my head. So, again, like the inverse of Andy, who says he doesn't understand it at all, but loves it. All right. And so the uh, the young girl, Christine, much younger than her siblings, she's gone missing. And, of course, their former neighbor, Andy, is, uh, you know, possibly someone who needs to be interviewed by the police. Possibly need to search his house. Yeah. So the cops show up to his clothing store while he's working there. And... Uh, it turns out he had been corresponding with Christine Wainwright. Uh, and uh, in the middle of this, there's a paragraph that's way too detailed about his clothing again. He's dressed immaculately, <laughs> double-breasted suit, uh, etc. <laughs> Not important. Just tell us about the emails. All right. So, But her says, emails. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. That's, that's right. Uh, Andy says to the cops, uh, she and I have always emailed each other a lot ever since she's had email. I'd say more days we do than we don't. Uh, all right, so she is 17 at this point that she's gone missing. <laughs> and 
Yes, Andy is 43 years older than her. Mm-hmm. So he is about 60 at the time that she goes missing. And uh, they email each other every day. Uh, he's basically setting this up to be as creepy as possible. Um, the cops ask, like, you know, didn't people think it was kind of weird that, like, you were friends with a teenage girl? And Andy says, I don't think it was generally known. Uh, her parents knew she was friendly with me. I don't think they minded. Uh, I kind of kept her out of their hair, maybe. And then the cops, of course, have to go a bit further with their questioning. You know, anything, like, inappropriate between you that we should know about? Uh, Andy immediately jumps to this. I never sent her any pictures of my dick, if that's what you mean. <laughs> Parents wow. famously right love there. it when old men email with their daughters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, well, uh, can we maybe so, come to your place like, and look around. <laughs> yeah, there's like, like uh, did you do anything else? Do you send any other pictures? <laughs> that's like when the police showed up at Josh Duggar's car lot and he said, did someone find child porn on a computer? <laughs> That's exactly what I thought of. <laughs> yeah, so th- they're like, okay, well, maybe could we, like, uh, look around your place? And he's like, not without a warrant. So it's like, all right. <laughs> Setting this guy up. I think what he's doing here is, like, making this as creepy as possible without actually making that connection so that, you know, he's going to be completely vindicated. Mm-hmm. Jokes in, on in us. the course of the story yeah yeah so we should feel bad about thinking it's weird that he did any he that. was stepping in to be her father figure because her real dad was too feminist <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah can't respect a man who loves chocolate are you kidding me <laughs> uh, and then the cops reveal to andy that they actually do have a file on him uh, he's been reported or, or complained about before to the cops. Uh, we've had a complaints here and there over the years, uh, three or four over, I don't know, 30 years or so from women, just that you made them uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For like, like what, what were the complaints? Uh, they say, well, they complained that you looked at them in the street or smiled at them or said hi to them in a way that gave them the willies, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, uh, famously something you report to the police. Yeah, <laughs> famously, yeah, every time that happens to a woman. And the cops keep a record of it, of course. Yes. And all yeah. of the cops on the force like know about it. Take yeah. it very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> you have to wonder if this is informed by perhaps real-life events that may have happened to somebody who resembles Andy Palinkas in one way or another. Uh, he basically promises the, to the cops that if he hears from Christine, he'll let them know. But then as they leave, he wonders to himself, if she contacts me, will I really tell the police? What motivation could he have to keep that information from her parents or the police? Ooh. Okay, so then uh, Teresa Blaha uh, is, again, like the landlord of the building where his uh, shop is. And is basically his best friend. Um, I think they've known each other since they were very young. Uh, And yeah, they're basically best friends. Um, Big Mama, some people call her. Teresa Badass. Her Majesty. So she's very well regarded in the city, I guess. Uh, He describes her physically a little bit. She's also a a very tall person. Um, She has gray tetracycline teeth 
tetracycline yeah tetracycline teeth which uh i I looked it up but i can't remember what that actually is tetracycline (laughs) i'm gonna google it again Uh! (laughs) (laughs) it made teeth gray oh so it's gray because of the the tetracycline (laughs) yes tetracycline causes permanent discoloration in teeth it used and, to be used in uh, toothpaste. Oh wait, is it? Oh, wait. it's it. It treats. It's an antibiotic. Yes. It's an oral antibiotic. Okay, so it, <gasps> it, I guess can stain teeth is what that's about. We love to learn from Joseph Dobrian. He's really <laughs> he teaches us a lot of things we don't know. Yeah, and I believe it uh, was used to treat acne. You know what? I shouldn't skip this. Andy has an overactive imagination. He got to envisioning the cops subpoenaing his computer and finding porn on it, plus other embarrassing material, and then maybe he'd be jailed for some sort of thought crime. Porn's not illegal, you know, in general. (laughs) Uh, Well, in general, it's not. (laughs) And also, uh, thoughts. Most thoughts are not a crime either, so... What kind of porn? What kind of thoughts do you think you might be jailed over, Andy? What's on your computer? Hmm. All right, so back to the Blahas. Teresa with her gray teeth. Uh, she's married to Ted Blaha, and uh, he owns a jewelry store, which uh, his, his family has owned for generations. Uh, they have chain locations in Cedar Rapids, Coppertown, Waterloo, and Muscatine. Okay, those are real places, so I don't know like that's not a parody that like those are real cities so any resemblance to actual places is coincidental but cedar rapids is very real so i don't know about that it's too real babe (laughs) it's it's one of the (laughs) realest places around (laughs) uh so he sets up a meeting with his friend Teresa to talk about you know what's going on with the missing girl and the cops um they meet at the mainliner for lunch is that the airliner, you think? It has to be, yeah. <laughs> uh, just more you know, character information. Teresa and Ted have a daughter named Mercy. And Mercy is married to David Wainwright, which is Jim and Gail's oldest son, the novelist. Uh, and the, uh, well, Teresa at least also dislikes the Wainwrights a great deal. Um, for example, they, they like bitch about this family all the time together. Um and Andy tells Teresa about a time where Jim uh, came into his store trying to get free shit for his daughter's wedding, uh, the middle child, not the one who went missing. Uh, Melissa was her name. And uh, Andy says that Jim was looking to schnore some tuxedos. Schnore. Is that a term you know? I wasn't familiar with that I've one. never heard that, yeah. Yeah, it's basically like, you know, like bumming a cigarette is like schnoring, you know, trying to get... <laughs> stuff for free but uh tuxedos are a little more seuss ass word (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah uh and then there's a hook at the end of the chapter uh andy has been carrying a grudge against the wainwrights for years and years by then just over 13 years so we're time traveling for the next chapter chapter two which is called that little incident Mm. now in this one that little incident Uh, The narrative goes back in time, as suggested, uh, to just before Christine was born. So we're going back, you know, 17 plus years to start the chapter. 
Uh, her siblings, uh, David and Melissa, were 14 and 11 at the time. So she's a very late addition to the family. And Andy senses some resentment amongst the family, both the the two siblings and the parents, that, you know, another baby is coming so late. And then we skip ahead to when Christine is four years old. And she's somewhat neglected because, again, the family is irritated that they have a baby. (laughs) 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 And the little incident that the title of the chapter refers to is four-year-old Christine falling into a creek behind their house. Uh, And Andy rescues four-year-old Christine from this creek that she fell into. And the parents, Jim and Gail, do not seem very grateful to him for rescuing their young daughter and as a result he kind of starts hating them from you know their their neglect and then their like apathy afterwards but we'll get into a little more specifics as i read on uh so yeah the wainwrights basically ignored andy he'd been living next to them for years and years when uh gail got pregnant with another kid and uh, he he sort of makes a connection with Melissa, the middle child, when they're both taking out the garbage at the same time, and she sort of vents to him that like she's so frustrated that another baby is coming and it's going to take precious resources from her. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, well, let's just skip right to the incident. I mean, that's that's the real important part of this chapter and this whole section really is that this four year old daughter, four year old girl, fell into a creek. Um, Let me play a bit of the reading here because I like the way that Joe reads this part. All right, so the kid's out in the backyard playing around the creek. She shrieked as she slid down the bank into the creek, and Andy shrieked too, falsetto like a woman. That sound, his own, would stay in his mind for the rest of his life. Andy would remember that shriek above everything else in that whole incident. And years later, he would feel slight shame at having emitted it. (laughs) So a little kid's like dying in front of him and he's embarrassed for the rest of his life that he sounded like a woman. when He (laughs) He writes this this masculine insecurity like so well. (laughs) It's really interesting. It's very, yeah, he knows it well. Yeah. So he drags this kid out of the creek. Um, He catches her like he's a like a an outfield i don't know baseball terms but like a catcher in the rye you can just say that about that (laughs) yeah he catches this kid as she's rolling down this creek he's standing in the water and he's like catching a grounder or something and uh you know heaves her out of the creek like he's in shock she's freaking out etc and this i thought was interesting here Christine was starting to roll back down the bank toward the water again, so he had to shove her, heave her up the hill by inches, and she was too terrified to help the process. So try to envision Mm. that picture in your mind. Does it remind you of anything? Was he happy when he did it? (laughs) I guess he wasn't because he was too too busy. That shriek was reverberating through his head. He couldn't be happy. (laughs) Yeah, no way. He was too embarrassed. (laughs) Oh, shoot. I shouldn't have closed the video because I have another great uh, clip of, of Joe reading. So he saves the girl and he, he like gets a, a blanket out of his house to, to wrap her up and try to dry her wait, off a wait, little wait. bit. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Right before you, I'm sorry. Before you do that, do you yeah, see yeah. probably like 24 inches <laughs> behind Dobrian 
to his right, stage left. His right. Yeah. Karl Marx! <laughs> I saw that earlier, too. <laughs> yeah, he set up in, uh, in Prairie Lights kind of in front of like a political section, I guess. Yeah, there's some Marx there. There's George Marshall, uh, a book about the Roosevelts. Salman Rushdie right over here. Yeah. It's an interesting backdrop. George Sherman biography. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of intellectual heavyweights. Uh, He's standing on the shoulders of giants as he reads this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this... So he he drags the kid back over to her house. Like, hey, your kid fell in the creek. Come on. (laughs) Here she is. Open up! Open up! Your daughter fell in the creek! I just like the way he yells there. Uh, good emoting. <laughs> That'd be a good like cell phone ringtone. Like anytime anyone calls you. <laughs> Open up. <laughs> <laughs> Your daughter's in the creek. <laughs> yeah, I'll clip that for anyone who wants to use it. <laughs> yeah, it's on touch tones. <laughs> so yeah, he finally gets the parents' attention. And uh, he seems to be taking this a lot more seriously than they are. Uh, this is something he wants to say to them, but doesn't say out loud. Gosh, Jim exclaimed, how'd she get outside the yard? What Andy wanted to do was explain to Jim that she had gotten outside the yard by tripping the latch on the gate and walking out. And that if, she, if he and Gail didn't want that to happen, they should get a fucking lock for the gate. But Gail was... Just like hearing him swear and hearing the audience of mostly elderly people sort of chuckle quietly. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, this is part of why he starts hating these people is that he's saying, like, we should probably call an ambulance for this four year old girl who like nearly drowned and had a traumatic experience. And uh, Jim, the father, says, I'm sure she'll be fine. (laughs) By your third kid, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Especially when, like, it's 10, 15 years after the first kids. Like, you didn't even plan to have this one. Like, if (laughs) if she dies, like, you weren't expecting to have her around anyway. So, you know, what's the difference? (laughs) It's also interesting that he's uh, criticizing their laissez-faire parenting styles. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he's like, we need big nanny government to make sure the kids don't <laughs> fall in the creeks anymore <laughs> yeah this is Man, I, um i did not even think about the catcher in the rye yeah. comparison but now i can't stop <laughs> we should remind our listeners that dorian loves to attend um school board meetings and yes that too uh mm-hmm. have any kind of input on the children of today yeah, yeah i guess yeah. that is good yeah that's true he does He's really concerned about the fate of the children. Yes. If if you don't know about this, if it wasn't clear, uh, like Andy Palinkas, Joseph also uh, never been married, never had, uh, as far as I know, like a, a real serious relationship, a romantic relationship, um, which is not, you know, a big deal, really. Like plenty of people, plenty of cool, normal people go through life without having any, being married or anything or having kids, etc. cetera. Um, but yeah, he does have strange ideas about what kids should learn in school (laughs) and you know to some extent like you know if you don't have any kids of your own like mind your own fucking business (laughs) yeah it's he sees himself as scooping up babies from the creek yeah yeah 
he's the the rescuer when they're neglectful Saving parents. Saving them. Allow them to fall into the creek of uh, critical race theory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, let me read this. Maybe some people would accuse Andy of having been petty, and indeed he even accused himself of it later on. But at any rate, he stood there outside for another minute or so, noticing that he hadn't heard a thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, did did the, Sisyphus expect a thank you? <laughs> <laughs> no one ever thanks him. Pushing that yeah. boulder day after day. Um <laughs> Do you think that would make it tolerable to him? If only someone would just say, good job, Sisyphus. <laughs> <laughs> Every time he reaches the bottom of the hill, when he starts pushing it up again, it's like, hey, man, thanks for, you know, putting the time in. I know this is a tough job, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can tell you really are really happy doing it. <laughs> I always get Sisyphus uh, confused with whoever gets their liver eaten out every day. Eaten out. And then. <laughs> isn't there some kind of mythological story about um someone who gets their liver eaten and then it like regenerates yeah i don't remember who that is either but it's like an eternal torture yeah is it yeah like birds prometheus? Eating the liver? yeah it might have been prometheus's punishment yeah for helping yes. humans discover fire for giving yeah. us fire yeah every day an eagle comes and eats his liver it would regrow every night <laughs> that's right that's right. It's Prometheus. I had to Google it. Yeah. Anyway, th that story just makes me wonder if that has any basis in reality. Like, Joseph did something, you know, helpful to one of his neighbors and they didn't seem to give a shit and it just fueled this eternal resentment. Um, he does finally get a, a thank you. That 100% from... happened, Justin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's written like these are things you've actually felt, you know. Um, but the father, Jim, does finally come over and thank him the next day, uh, returns his blanket to him, and he says, Hey, thanks for getting Christine out of the water yesterday. She couldn't tell us too much except that you got her out, but thanks. This is very nonchalant. <laughs> no, no chocolates in the, with the, with the card? <laughs> he said girlishly, Hey, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> And then what makes him really start hating uh, Jim and Gail is that uh, he then talks to Gail, the mother, who says, this is like a week after the little incident. Uh, she says sort of, you know, like laughing. She says, Jim and I have to force her into the tub now. Like she's scared of water. And, and Andy just sees that as like, you know, having no empathy for what this little kid went through and like forcing her to get into the tub. And then laughing about yeah. it as you talk to your neighbor, which... Yeah, I mean, the way he's portraying it here, I would hate those people, too. <laughs> yeah. It's just no like, joke uh, when my dad much. made me watch Jaws when I was, like, eight to teach me about the ocean. <laughs> I still had to take baths that week. Oh, my God. It was so scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to let him uh, elaborate on Andy's uh, growing hatred for his neighbors, the Wainwrights. It's fun to find certain people contemptible. That's it true. gives you a tingle sometimes to look podcast. upon your fellow man and right. curl your lip in distaste or scorn, or on special occasions, utter loathing. But Andy thought about the Wainwrights more than was good for him, and he knew it. Okay. I just wanted to say this is maybe a little bit too 
too much of yourself in that reading there, Joe. Like, <laughs> it's it's fun to hate people and <laughs> live as a miserable misanthrope. I think Joe should get on social media. I think he would have a really good time hating people on there. <laughs> I mean, he's on Facebook. He's I mean, in... he's kind of he's he's kind of onto something, isn't that? Why a lot of people use social media for so they can. Uh, look at all the people that they hate doing things that they hate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that why I crack this open? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) so he sort of, uh, elaborates that he sees the Wainwrights as sort of being oblivious of, of their own evil. Like if you were to confront them about it, they wouldn't even understand like that. Anything they're doing is wrong. Um, which again, I, I kind of zooming out. I think this is sort of his, criticism of like nice liberal iowa city families that he's encountered (laughs) i mean like what are you gonna do not gonna give your kid a bath again because they had a (laughs) traumatic incident i mean i don't know i'm not a parent yeah yeah but uh, i don't know if that seems like that bad honestly yeah I, i also don't think that he's trying to portray andy as like blameless in this or like or like totally right about the way he feels but sort of trying to, you know, express this ugliness in a real way, even if it's not the right way to feel about the situation. But maybe I'm giving him too much credit there. But anyway, that that establishes the beginning of the sort of grudge he holds against the Wainwrights. And then chapter three, we zoom ahead again uh, to about 10 years after that. So that would be about three years before Christine disappears. So chapter three is called Christine Grows Up. Uh, so in this chapter, Christine is now 14 and is uh, emailing Andy frequently. Ah! <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so they've been having correspondence for a long time. <laughs> yes. Yes. So she is 14. He then would be 57. Yeah, 14 and 57. My God. Uh, she's emailing him frequently without her parents' knowledge. Uh, and Andy, I guess, doesn't feel the need to tell her parents that he's receiving these emails from their teenage daughter. He's just incensed that they don't have parental controls on their, <laughs> on her computer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he said at some point in this, he says that like, you know, since he saved this girl when he was four, he feels a kind of like connection and responsibility for her going forward and sort of sees the way that her parents neglect her and sort of wants to make up for that. But it's like, you are not, a relative (laughs) like it is (laughs) weird and you do have like if you're going to try to play that role in a kid's life you do sort of have to do so carefully with the parents like like, knowledge (laughs) and consent (laughs) right because even if you even if you're not going to be weird like there's too much potential for weirdness and the appearance of weirdness is is very you want to avoid that does he say anything specifically about why the character chooses not to tell the parents? Uh, not that I remember, but as yeah, I... Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too, is, like, a 14-year-old girl is going to keep that secret? Like, uh, it seems kind of unlikely. Right. Why would she want to? Yeah, right. That, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, if anything that sheds light on that comes up that I forgot about, I'll, I'll read it. Um, but... Anyway, continuing my quick summary, uh, Andy encourages Christine in her pursuit pursuit of music and uh, even lets her band practice in his garage. 
And uh, Christine, in turn, encourages Andy to get into community theater. Which, again, is a thing that Joseph Dobrian did in real life. Got involved in community theater. So you have to wonder if a 14-year-old girl told him to. (laughs) What roles has he played is my question. Uh, Dracula is the one that I remember. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We all remember. (laughs) I'm not sure I didn't remember. That's delightful. (laughs) (sighs) I'll show you the picture after this to remind you. Oh, yeah. I we mostly feel sorry for the the female actor in right. the picture. You ever played Mina? I want to send you an email. <laughs> uh Andy felt just a bit proud of himself whenever he saw Christine, although he was also ashamed of himself for feeling that pride. So again, uh, it's it's kind of a weird fixation on a young girl and feels again like he's trying to set this up as creepily as possible. And then he's going to vindicate his uh, protagonist <laughs> by the end of this. Yeah. Remember that part in Lolita where Humbert Humbert gets, there, it's just a misunderstanding. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't, I can't lie. I definitely did think like, oh, is he trying to do a Lolita thing yeah. in here? And I mean, we can't really put it past him. I mean, it would be a, definitely a step further, but in Willie Wilden, you know, his self-insert uh, college professor character has sex with a student, licks her armpit. Yeah. Uh, Christine might have wondered why Mr. P was interested in being friends with her and why she hardly ever saw visitors at his house. (laughs) Those are the two things she wonders. Why are you friends with me? Why do you have no other friends? (laughs) You know, I would wonder. Yeah. Those are things you should think about. When the 60-year-old man uh, emails you back. (laughs) Uh, He then spends about half a page describing Christine. I mean, it's nothing, like, weird, but he just says, like, she's just, you know, a normal-looking teenage girl. Um, Well, she was slightly chunky in her early years, but she lost the baby fat when she hit puberty at about age 11. Just things that sixty-year-old men notice. Yeah. Oh my old, god! Old stuff. Oh, that's sickening. <laughs> yeah, uh, she had a snub nose, prominent front teeth, hazel brown eyes, and straight dark hair that she wore in a pixie. Okay, as someone with um, big teeth and a snub nose, and who's had a pixie cut, is this book about me? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Okay, so after that half page of uh, physical description. Otherwise, Christine's appearance was unremarkable. Yeah. (laughs) You've remarked quite a bit already, but yes, unremarkable (laughs) other than that. Okay, so here is a a first example of an email written by Christine to Andy. So this is a 14-year-old girl writing to a 57-year-old man um, in the year 2005. So... We were we were pretty close to her age in 2005, so we can sort of compare this to our own experience writing emails at that time. Uh, I should have been lead guitar, because I know I'm as good as Aaron, but A, I don't have an electric guitar of my own. Gotta work on this. Maybe we'll buy a used one cheap, but for now I have to borrow one of Aaron's. And B, he's a boy, so naturally he has to be lead. You may not understand from the way I'm reading this, but... Um, when she says, I shoulda been lead guitar, it's S-H-O-U-L-D-A, shoulda. 
and then uh, Gata, G-O-T-T-A, Hafta, H-A-F-T-A, Hasta, H-A-S-T-A. I wasn't writing like that at the time. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think I was probably like ironically misspelling things instead of H. <laughs> but <laughs> I also wasn't yeah. having email correspondence with 60-year-old men. <laughs> so about the the drama who am i to say garage yeah band. yeah my garage band yeah so that's basically what she's writing about is that she's sort of um forming a band with some other some other teenagers and there's a little bit of friction between them because some are more talented than others or like have more money or whatever um and christine's dad doesn't want them to make all that racket in their garage so that's when um Andy writes back, and in his email, among other things, he's talking about how, like, you know, uh, a lot of the boys, well, well, they're they're gonna want to play lead because they have this like machismo or whatever. Um, but then he offers, uh, if you need regular practice space, why not use my garage? <laughs> I mean, it's a, you know, it's like, <laughs> it. It's like a sort of nice thing to offer, but it's also set up in such a way that's like, really, like you're offering your garage to the teenagers. It's weird. It's a weird thing to do. You know, people would look at it sideways if it happened in real life. He doesn't even like music with guitars. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. They're not playing lutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, she writes back and in her email. She's like really uh, grateful for the the uh, offer to use his garage, and she says that they're gonna have to come up with a cover story because mom and dad don't know I'm emailing you, and it might freak them out if they found out. Okay, if you are the adult in this situation and <laughs> a teenager writes that to you, it is it has already been your responsibility to tell the parents that you are emailing with their daughter and she is confiding with in you about her problems, unless you yeah. are a groomer, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, you need to talk to her parents. You read that sentence. Or and it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I need to <laughs> rectify this situation immediately. <laughs> uh, okay. And then, um, there's something about, uh, high V. Again, a real place. So I don't know why that's not a parody. He, uh, Andy runs into Gail, Christine's mom at Hy-Vee. And she she also thanks Andy for letting the, the teen band use his garage. You have to wonder what she's really thinking. <laughs> uh, another email from Christine to... Which Hy-Vee uh, do you think Dobry and Chop's at? <laughs> well, his address on the business card is... <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, uh, Christine writing another email to Andy about a problem that comes up in her garage band. Um, she has invited uh, a girl who has some kind of like intellectual disability to, to play with them. Uh, She's, you know, being nice to somebody and the rest of the band is kind of like irritated that she is doing that. Um, I'm going to say a word that's not good, not a good word to say, but in context, I think I can <laughs> maybe make this. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's test it out. Yeah. So Christine is talking about this girl and she says uh, the girl gets picked on because she's kind of slow and has like a learning disability 
which I guess is the polite name for retarded because you're not allowed to say retarded anymore. So 14-year-old girl, 2005, writing this to a 57-year-old man. As soon as I read that, I was like, okay, I got to get to his response ASAP. What is he going to say to that? (laughs) (laughs) Was that even true in 2005? (laughs) I mean, probably, yeah. I mean, it was a thing, I know, but I don't think it was quite as... Yeah. I remember his, like... That wasn't the polite word to say in like the nineties. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, my my mom had a, a job working like night classes for adults with uh, learning disabilities and stuff. And so like, she was very aware that like that's a word that is not polite, <laughs> and she instilled that in me when I was like very young. So I I was aware of that yeah back in the nineties. Yeah, I just didn't think of like it was like on the office. Like, <laughs> they've like true, I mean, yeah, I guess true. it was impolite, but like nowadays, I think it's like you're really not supposed to say it, and they don't say it in any like media. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's very Joseph Dobrian to complain about that, right? Which I thought was where he was going with that to have some sort of like anti PC response to this girl. He loves but that he, kind of shit with words. Yeah, he mm-hmm. doesn't respond to it at all. Like, I'm surprised at the restraint. Like, it it's clear to me sort of what he's trying to portray here. Like, this young girl probably got it from her overbearing liberal mom not to say that word anymore, you know? Trying to force this sort of, like, political correctness on her children. But he doesn't say anything about it. And he doesn't mm-hmm. in his response. So it's just sort yeah, of Yeah, that's interesting. It's unremarked. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it'll come back later. Are you going to do like a bell? Every (laughs) Every time time. that word comes up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if that if that happens more than twice, uh, because it's happened two times so far, we'll call it the. (laughs) I don't know if we want to do that that. one, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. so um, horny meter dings so far it doesn't like this is a very sterile book honestly i was gonna like, say which i'm grateful uh, for <laughs> yeah yeah willie wilden seems like are barely quivering <laughs> <laughs> willie wilden was like about how he like wants a wife and can't have one and like this book seems like it's how he wants a kid and can't have one <laughs> mm, yeah 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 it's it's very asexual i mean he said like i never sent her a picture of my dick if that's what you're asking and that's the closest he's come to really talking about that side of things. Yeah. Um, okay, so a few weeks later, one night when a practice was breaking up and the kids were packing up their equipment, Andy stepped into the garage from inside his house. So, yeah, all, all the kids leave except for Christine. So Christine and Andy are standing in Andy's garage talking after the practice is over. And uh, Christine is basically saying... Like, this this girl who was really talented left their band for another band that's actually, like, going to play gigs for people. She says, well, it's, it makes sense. Our band's never going to be professional or anything. And Andy responds, I thought that was your ambition. Whoa. <laughs> that's the title of the book. That's yeah. the title of the book, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Palinkas looks to the camera. Um, and then... Uh, and underlined. Christine talks about how her parents, I think her father in particular, are sort of discouraging her from pursuing music in like a serious way, like as a a career path or anything. And Andy says, oh, that sounds like your dad is telling you ambition is bad. 
There's ambitions um, again. <laughs> that's another interesting one because it's like uh, you could say that's probably like good advice, <laughs> and also. <laughs> <laughs> no offense um <laughs> but I mean, yeah but when you, it's a matter if you have of a, perspective uh, if you have a 14 year old daughter who's interested in music like right like really like very interested according to what's being described here like you should encourage her i think yeah <laughs> uh it goes on for a while and then andy says uh it's not my place to advise you but you should do whatever you want. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not my place to advise you, but we've been having these like near you. daily email conversations yeah. where Love. I literally give you advice about your life. Most yeah. of this chapter so far has been him advising her, yes. Uh, and then this is the part where um, he mentions that, oh, she asks him, like, did you have any ambitions? You know, did you really want to run a clothing store? Like, was that what you wanted to do? And then he reveals to her that he was interested in acting, drama when he was in high school and she's like, Oh, why don't you get into community theater? So again, did this happen in real life to Joe? And then we see another email exchange. And the crazy thing is this time, um, Andy initiated the email correspondence, Mm -hmm. which to me is adds another level to this should not be happening. (laughs) (laughs) And he basically just thanks her for encouraging him to pursue, uh, acting at the community theater level. What do these level? other kids think of him? <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the other kids in the band? They're just yeah. like, yeah, yeah. It's just like, they don't, yeah. They're, I guess they're like, oh, cool, we got a garage to practice in. But yeah. they're not like, hey, like, what's going on with your relationship with this, this <laughs> 60-year-old guy that you're, yeah. like, hiding from your parents? Because, again, like, she doesn't talk to her friends about this stuff. She doesn't, like, <laughs> it doesn't seem likely. Yeah, it seems like this old man is the person she really confides in. Like, this is in. a secret that would not be possible to keep with, like, 14-year-olds in the mix. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think twice a week is how often they're practicing in his garage, too. So they, like, see him all the time. And, yeah, we, they would be wondering, like, why is our rhythm guitar it's so close with her single, childless, 57-year-old neighbor? <laughs> um and then they let's see christine so she's playing guitar in this band but she's interested in uh you know developing her singing voice uh voice lessons andy actually encourages her to try to get voice lessons talk to her parents about it and jim remember he tried to i think it was schnorr some tuxedos for his daughter melissa's wedding uh, he tries to do the same thing with like the voice lessons. <laughs> so let's see. Let me see if I got these relationships right. Um, Connor Connor Lowe is married to a woman named Tanya Kukashay. C U C O S H A Y. Tanya Kukashay, who is a soprano and uh, just had a baby. And. You know, she she teaches lessons, or so Jim thinks that, you know, maybe she'd be interested in teaching voice lessons to Christine. Um, the reason that they know Connor Lowe is that he was uh, their daughter Melissa's boyfriend uh, when they were teenagers. So they remain close with the ex-boyfriend of their daughter, Melissa, Connor Lowe. And that connection to Jim is enough that he thinks he can ask for free voice lessons from this dude's wife. <laughs> so Jim is a cheap asshole um 
<laughs> Andy is perfectly justified in hating the father of the girl he emails regularly. <laughs> and they don't really reveal what this means, but it says here, Connor had told Jim a little about how Tanya had been acting crazy. So Tanya and Connor have a new baby, and I guess Tanya has been acting crazy. And mm. Jim kind of thinks he's doing her a favor by offering to have her teach voice lessons <laughs> to his daughter. That's what every new parent needs. <laughs> and yeah. someone who's obviously struggling with like postpartum psychosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to teach free lessons? It's like therapy. Yeah, this you know? is definitely going to help your mental, mental health. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Jim Jim is just an oblivious dipshit and uh yeah, he's written that way, I guess. Yeah. He's yeah. right about chocolate though. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And then the end of uh chapter three and the end of part one is speaking of gossip. To understand what happened later, we now have to talk about Connor Lowe and his relationship with the Wainwright's middle child and elder daughter, Melissa. So again, uh they were boyfriend girlfriend when they were teenagers and i guess we have to learn more about that in order to contextualize <laughs> the missing girl christine wainwright yeah the laura palmer <laughs> I was gonna say, of state city iowa when do we find out that he kidnapped her i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah hopefully we find out that this girl is safe and sound uh but we've got you know Actually, I'm sure I'm guessing. Okay, my my guess is that he did kidnap her, but it was for like purely altruistic <laughs> reasons, or to like protect <laughs> her from her evil family. Yeah, and then the police are like, "Thank you, Andy. <laughs> Thank you for kidnapping this girl. We also had a file on her her father, Jim, <laughs> and uh, Just not like only was he the father is actually the villain. Yeah." Not only was he uh, staring and smiling at women, he was also touching them. And so uh, you've done a great service. <laughs> yeah. So that's the end of uh, today's review. Uh, we are part one of six of the uh, Ambitions review. I hope people enjoyed that. Uh, Evan, Stella, how do you feel about the narrative so far? Are you hooked? I, yeah, I'm hooked. <laughs> I'm less hooked. <laughs> i mean i'm excited to see where dobrian goes i know it's gonna be dark i know it's gonna be fucked up but i mean i'm i'm used to some pretty fucked up shit from him and he hasn't really delivered quite yet like oh, yeah he's I, holding back for sure yeah i feel like yeah you're not gonna be disappointed it just might take a few episodes <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, thank you for uh, fielding that with me. Um, I hope people enjoy listening to it. And I feel like there's a lot of potential here. I can't wait to see where the story goes. Thank you for listening to Dobrain Book Club here on the Diamond Hard Caucus Network. And a two and a three and we sail the ocean blue and our saucy ships of beauty. We are sober men and true and attentive to our duty. I'm called Little Buttercup Poor little buttercup, though I could never tell why. What never? No, never. What never? Hardly ever. ever. He's hardly ever sick at sea. For he himself has said it, and it's clearly to his credit. 
that he is an Englishman. He remains an Englishman. And now, the final curtain. Hold it right there, Sideshow Bob. You're under arrest. By Lucifer's beard.